All right, everybody, welcome to Remnant. How are we this morning? Woo! Yes, praise God. My name is Frank. I'm one of the pastors. If you're new here, I'm so glad you're here. We are um, literally a group of people. I call them messed up people because we're still on our journey, but we're being transformed by the Word of God. And it's not that we're choosing to follow a religion. It's not that we're choosing to follow rules. It's not that we've limited ourselves in any way. What's happened is we've developed this relationship with Jesus and we found freedom in it. And as a result, we start changing on the inside and we don't even know why, but things we used to want to do, we don't want to do anymore. And and we become different people after we surrender our lives to Jesus. And we can't explain it. It has to happen. It's one of those things, but we know that we're just different. And so we come back every week to try to learn more, because the more we learn, the more we can surrender. The more we surrender, the more we become like Christ. And then what happens is we we, we begin to come and we realize that this new life we're living is just incredible. And we have to come here and worship God every week and say, thank you, not have to, we race to go do it. It's the highlight of our week. And then we find other people who are on the same crazy journey we're on, and we put everybody together, we call it a church. And it was Jesus's idea, and it's great, and I'm so glad we're here. We're in the middle of a series called Appointed Times. Now, this series um, is about the Jewish feasts. And I, and I just, for those who are catching up, I just want to sort of explain some things. The one thing that's clear from the Old Testament is that God really didn't want the world to miss the Messiah when he showed up on earth. It is so clear from Genesis chapter 3 through all the prophets, through the books of the law, all of them point to the Messiah, Jesus. And we studied in the past how the prophets would would predict who this man would be. And we've covered that and we see that there's only one person ever born who can fulfill the prophecies and it's Jesus. Then then this time we're looking at what God called the appointed times, the feasts of the Lord. He, He told the Jewish people Uh, after they had left Egypt and they were on their way through the wilderness, he says, look, I'm not the kind of God that they had down in Egypt. You see, down in Egypt, they had far off gods, gods that were up on the mountains or up in the clouds, and you, you couldn't connect with them, you couldn't touch them, you couldn't do anything. He says, I'm a different God. First of all, I'm the only God. And second, I am Emmanuel. I am God with you. I didn't come, I didn't develop, I didn't create you in order to be distant from you. I actually created each and every one of you to have a relationship with you. And so he said, while you're wandering through the wilderness, I'm going to be in the tabernacle. My presence is going to be ahead of you as you walk. And when you stop, I'm going to be in the tabernacle because I want to be your God. And I want you to be my people. And so throughout the Old Testament, God set aside certain things. Certain things they should do. And one of the things he said was seven times a year, I want you to stop what you're doing for the day and think about me. And he named these feasts. Now we hear feasts, we think food, right? I mean, that's basically how we're wired. But, but basically what they said was a feast was an, is basically an appointed time. A time set aside by God for his purpose and his plan. And there were seven feasts every year, and they correlated with the harvest. Okay, first the barley harvest, then the wheat harvest. And what happens is, as you look at these feasts, you begin to see the life of Jesus. 
And it's incredible because the Jewish people have been following these feasts for thousands of years. The feasts clearly point to Jesus and they just haven't quite got it yet. They will. One of the feasts promises us that. But each feast basically foretells of the Messiah. Okay, and so the first four feasts are in the spring and we covered those. Today we'll, we'll end the spring feast. We're gonna look at the Feast of Weeks today or Pentecost. But we talked about Passover, how Jesus was the Passover lamb, how he gave up his life for all of us, how he was the perfect sacrificial lamb. We looked at unleavened bread, which basically means bread that has no leaven or sin in it, and, and how Jesus was basically the bread of life, and how he gave his body this sinless bread for us, and how he was put away in a tomb, like the, this will sound weird to those that are just joining us, but like the afikoman that was hidden, and he'll come back. And on the day of first fruits, he resurrects, uh, being the first of many of a human harvest that's going to happen. And now today, we're going to look at the next feast, which is the Feast of Weeks. Now, I know this gets complicated. And I know that we're in a series and we're building week by week. I really want you, if, you're, if you haven't seen all the series, to go back um, and you can go on uh, the Frank Bible Truth YouTube channel and all the sermons are there. You can look at, you can watch them. If you want to listen to them, they're on the Frank Bible Truth podcast. I say that not to pump me up, but to make sure you're catching what God is, is bringing to us. And so we're looking at this fourth feast today. It's a spring feast. Now, God used these feasts to usher in and point to his redemptive plan for the world. If you look at the feasts, you see Jesus. Each one specifically points to a different moment in his life. Four in the spring that tell the complete story of the Messiah. It's so clear. Passover, unleavened bread, first fruits, weeks. They were all fulfilled in Jesus' first coming. Okay, Jesus came to earth. These four feasts prophetically pointed to something he would do, and he did all four of them during his first visit to earth. The fall feasts, which we start next week, are three feasts that he will complete and fulfill on his second return. And we'll talk about that next week. We looked at Passover. We looked at unleavened bread. We studied the Feast of First Fruits. Saw the resurrection of Christ. Saw how important it was to give God the very first of everything that we have. This week, we're going to look at the, weeks, or the Feast of Weeks. Now, that sounds weird, weeks. It has a couple different names, Feast of Weeks, Pentecost, Day, uh, the Hebrew word Shavat, the last of the spring feasts, has always been fulfilled on Pentecost. But I want to first look at what this feast is. Then we're going to look at what it means. Then we're going to look at what it means to them. And then we're going to look at the most important question for us today. What does that feast mean to me today when I walk out of this room? How am I going to change my life based on the truth of God's word? If you come here and you just learn, you're not doing a whole lot. It's the application piece out in the laboratory that we call life where Christianity really shines. So what is this feast? Well, let's take a look at Leviticus chapter 23. Here's what he says. You shall count seven full weeks from the day after the Sabbath from the day you brought the sheaf of the wave offering. Okay, in other words, remember how they had the wave offering on the, um, the last feast? 
Um, now he says, okay, from that day forward, I want you to start counting. Seven weeks, seven sevens, 49 days. You shall bring from your dwelling place two loaves of bread to be waved made of two tenths of an ephah. There'll be a fine flour baked with leaven as first fruits to the Lord. Notice that. This time the bread has leaven in it. What does leaven symbolically represent? Sin. Okay, now this is interesting. This is the first time we see that we are going to make an offering to the Lord acknowledging sin. Put that away. We'll get to it in a minute. Uh, let's see. You shall present with the bread seven lambs a year old without blemish and one bull from the herd and two rams. They will be a burnt offering to the Lord with their grain offering and their drink offering, a food offering with pleasing aroma to the Lord. And you shall offer one male goat for a sin offering. Okay. Basically, remember we said there's no forgiveness of sin without the shedding of blood. Goat's going to pay the price for the sins of Israel, okay? Uh, and two male lambs a year old is a sacrifice of peace offerings. And the priest will wave them with the bread of first fruits as a wave offering before the Lord with the two lambs. They will be holy to the Lord for the priests. And you shall make a proclamation on the same day. You shall hold a holy convocation. In other words, a group of the people. You shall not do any ordinary work. It is a statute forever in all your dwelling places throughout your generations. And when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge, nor shall you gather gleanings after your harvest. Leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. So let me just recap here. Simplify it. Uh, this feast is all about waving two loaves of bread to the Lord, a wave offering. Here, Lord, two loaves of bread. They are loaves of leaven. In addition to that, animals are going to be sacrificed at one year old, which is the, the age of perfection for a young animal. They will be offered to God as a sin offering and a peace offering. It'll be a day nobody works. It'll be a day everybody comes to the temple. And when you um, take your wheat harvest, because this feast is going to be all about the wheat harvest, you leave the outside of your fields and you don't pick it clean. And the reason is anybody that's poor, anybody that needs food can go to any field in Israel and take wheat, okay? It's a way of providing. Okay, God, remember last week he said, I want the first 10%. Now he's basically saying, or I want the first fruit. Now he's saying, make sure you give some to those who have none, okay? The message here from God is that what you have is really not yours. Okay, it's to be used either as an offering to God, an offering to those who need help, or for the purposes of God. Now, first fruit was the barley harvest. This feast is the wheat harvest. Okay? It occurs 50 days after the feast of first fruits that we looked at last week. 50 days. That's what Pentecost means, by the way. Pentecost just means 50. If you, oh, it's a Pentecostal church. Well, they're all 50. No. Okay. So basically, there's seven perfect sevens, and then the day after is this appointed feast. Okay? Day 50. It's one of the three pilgrimage feasts that God ordained people in the temple to go to Jerusalem. Okay? 
So three times a year, they had to go to Jerusalem to celebrate the feast. Every able-bodied male Jewish person went to the temple in Jerusalem three times a year. We talked about how the first time was the, the really Passover unleavened bread. They were all there for that week. Remember, it's Passover, then immediately a week of unleavened bread. They were all there for that week. Now, if you remember the story of Jesus at 12 years old in the temple had come for that feast, right? And his parents left, and they realized they didn't have him, so they had to come back. And Mary was a little bit upset, right? One of the reasons was these were pilgrimage feasts. When they got to the end of the uh, first fruit feast, okay, they had to go home. And they had 50 days to bring in the wheat harvest and to get back to the temple for the next feast, okay? Now, it also happens that the trip down from Jerusalem is about 2,000 feet straight down to Jericho. That's probably about when they realized Jesus wasn't with them and they had to haul themselves back up the hill all the way to the temple, okay? So the point here is that three times a year they had to go to Jerusalem. Now, if they lived in Galilee, that could be a three-day walk each direction, maybe four, okay? And the entire northern part of Israel would empty out and they'd all come to Jerusalem and they'd all go back up, okay? Interesting that foreign armies tried to use that to their advantage. If they're all down south, they can't be up north, but God always protected them. It's really amazing to look at. So they had to walk sometimes two or three days in each direction. They had to go home, get the wheat harvest in, and come back to the temple. Now, this occurs on the sixth day of the Jewish month called Sivan. I'm telling you all this just so you'll have it. It occurs during the third moon after Passover. Two loaves of bread are baked and brought to be waved as offerings to the Lord. The bread was baked with leaven. The only time God instructs leavened bread to be used during a feast, okay? The feast also, we saw in Leviticus, a burnt offering of seven male lambs, one young bull and two rams. We see grain and drink offerings, a sin offering of a male goat, and a fellowship offering of two lambs. This feast day is a holy day. It is a Sabbath, no work to be done. God basically said when the people have harvested their wheat, they couldn't harvest right up to the edge. They had to leave that for the poor people and the travelers that were going through. Another reminder that God is the provider of all. And we should be generous to the poor and the needy. Even in the harvest, some was given to God, some set aside for others. We're supposed to do the same thing with our financial harvest. In the book of Ruth, you may remember that she depended on the crops in the periphery to stay alive, right? As Ruth, that was one of the things she did. For that reason, part of the tradition of this particular feast is the night before the feast, they read the entire book of Ruth, okay? Now, do you remember when God gave Moses the Ten Commandments? Remember that? They left Israel. They'd been walking for a while. They get to a place. God realizes, or he knew all along, wow, these people have been in slavery for 460 some odd years. They have no idea how to behave. They've always been told what to do. Their parents were told what to do. Their parents above them were told what to do. They've never had to make decisions on their own. They've never been taught how to live in community. I got thousands of these people going through the desert. We need some rules. 
Now, one of the things I love about God is God is all about relationship. And if you look at the Ten Commandments, the very first line of the Ten Commandments is the most important line, almost, of the Ten Commandments. Do you know how it starts? I am the Lord your God. In other words, God's saying, look, I'm going to establish the relationship before I give you the rules. This will transform your way of thinking, by the way. I'm going to establish our relationship before I try to put any rules on you. I am the Lord your God who led you out of Egypt. Now, here are the Ten Commandments. If you're not one of the people I led out of Egypt, these are not your commandments. Okay, they're nice, they're good to live by, but he gave these commandments to his people and his followers. One of the things that y'all know drive me absolutely crazy is when Christians expect people who don't know God to follow rules God gave to his own people. We can't expect people we haven't yet shared the gospel with to act like they're saved. It's not gonna happen. And so God always establishes the relationship first. Now we do this also, okay? We don't want anybody to give us a rule or something we have to do until they establish a relationship, right? You're walking through the mall with your child. Some stranger comes up, grabs your child and says, don't ever do that again. And your response is, who are you to tell my child what to do. In other words, you don't have a relationship here. Don't give any rules, okay? Somebody who you don't know comes up and starts telling you what you have to do. You resent that because there's no relationship, right? If that person happens to be a police officer, you've given that relationship, okay, by title. They're allowed to tell you what to do under certain circumstances. And so we always need to see the relationship first. Now, this is why it's so important. If you are in a place where you're gonna require something of somebody else, you need to establish a relationship with them. Okay, so for instance, in a church family, we're all gonna make each other mad, it's gonna happen. We're fallen people, we're gonna disappoint you, somebody's gonna upset you, and you're gonna get up and go out of here to another church where it starts all over again. Let me just tell you something. One of the reasons this church is so big on relationship is that we know we're gonna have to ask each other for forgiveness. And the relationship is critical to that. And so what happens is we, we know that, you know, anybody that works with us or for us, uh, we need a relationship to be established. Well, God is telling the Jewish people, I'm the kind of God that demands a relationship. I want you to know me. I want to be your God. I want you to be my people. And so he gives them the Ten Commandments. Now, you want to guess how many days after they left Egypt until he gives the Ten Commandments? Just take a wild guess, Pentecost. Take a wild guess. 50 days. Want to guess what day God gave the Ten Commandments? On the Feast of Weeks, Pentecost. Okay? Now, I'm going to tell you how we know that, uh, and you can ignore this if you want or move on and just trust us, but I'm going to give it to you anyway. Israel left Egypt on the 15th day of the first month. That's in Exodus 12. The 15th day of the second month would be 30 days later. That's 45 days. From the 15th of the second month to the end of the month would be another 15 days. Third month would be 45 days. And this timeline is important because God came down on Mount Sinai on the 50th day. Okay, now God commanded Israel to keep a feast every year on the 50th day after Passover. 
Okay, remember, Passover, just put all this in the timeline. The lamb was sacrificed, they left the next day, Passover, okay? They're wandering through the desert, okay? We know they left on this day of the month. We know 15 days later was this. We know there are three days here. Guess what? It's now time, they're at Mount Sinai, okay? They're at 49 days, seven perfect sevens. Now, on the 47th day after leaving Egypt, Moses went up to Mount Sinai to meet with God, okay? God revealed his plan for Israel, which was to make Israel a kingdom of priests, a holy nation, and a people for his own possession, okay? To receive those benefits, God's requirements were simple. Obey my voice, keep my commandments. Obey my voice, keep my commandments. Real simple. Moses went back down the mountain, told the people all that God had said. All that the Lord has spoken, we will do, they said. He went back up the mountain and told God that people agreed with God on the 48th day after leaving Egypt. It goes back up, day 48. God told Moses to to tell the people to consecrate themselves today and tomorrow because he would come down on the mountain on the third day. The Lord also said to Moses, and the Lord said unto Moses, go unto the people and sanctify them today and tomorrow. Let them wash their clothes and be ready for the third day. For the third day, the Lord will come down in the sight of all the people upon Mount Sinai. Okay, so one of the things that happens on the very first Pentecost, the very first Feast of Weeks, 50 days after Passover, right? Okay, after the love and bread. So here we are, it's 50 days. God comes down and manifests himself to the people. He brings the Ten Commandments, but he also manifests himself to the people. Okay, that's important. So the timeline's complete. The 48th day, tomorrow's the 49th. The third day is the 50th. God will come down from Mount Sinai on the 50th day since the children left Egypt or what we call Pentecost. Now, the one reason I think we should study the feasts is that it seems throughout history, biblical history, God always does interesting things on the feast days. Major events happen on the feast days for the Jewish people. They foreshadow events in Jesus' life, but, but we also see days when unique things happen, like God manifesting himself from heaven and giving the Ten Commandments, Right? So on these days, it's almost like there is a connection between God and his people, and things seem to happen on feast days. Lamb is slaughtered, Jesus is slaughtered. Unleavened bread, because they had to get out in a hurry. Unleavened bread, because it's sinless, stored away, returned. First fruits, because they want to give their first to God. First fruits of the human harvest, Jesus says, I've got to go to the Father. Don't touch me yet. I haven't presented myself as the first fruit of the human harvest. Now, 50 days later, we see a movement of God from heaven to earth doing miraculous things. The day God wrote his law on the tablets for the people to follow, which is why part of the tradition of this is they eat foods like milk and honey, which symbolize God's word. Just an aside, you may not know this, but in the synagogue, when the children were learning the scriptures for the first time, the priests would pour honey on the Bible and allow them to eat honey while they're reading scriptures to teach them that God's word is sweet, that God's word is good. And so honey often will represent those things. 
Luke 24, 48. We're going to fast forward now to another Pentecost, the one we're most familiar with, 50 days after Jesus resurrected, right? The disciples are all in the upper room praying. Nod your head, not like you've heard that before. Yes, good, okay. Luke says this, you are witnesses of these things and behold, I'm sending the promise of my father upon you, but stay in the city until you're clothed with power from on high. Okay, notice a few things. Jesus says, I'm going away, but I'm gonna send you power. They didn't know what to expect. For all they knew, Hercules was gonna show up at the front door. Maybe Jesus would come back. Maybe they would all be strong. Maybe, they didn't know. All they knew was Jesus says, go and wait, and I will bring you power. Now notice where this power comes from, on high. You're gonna receive power from above, okay? In other words, I'm gonna manifest myself in your life on a special day. They waited and prayed in the upper room. And in Acts 2, the display of God's power again is much like his display of power thousands of years ago in Exodus 19 when he gave the law. Okay, notice that both came from on high, both involved fire, both presented themselves to the people, both were from God. On the day of Pentecost, seven perfect sevens of waiting, they went to the temple as required. Okay, now this is really important. I've seen so many pictures and photos of the Holy Spirit falling on the disciples in the upper room. Okay? It probably didn't happen there. Just let you know. It, it, they weren't in the upper room. Not when the Spirit fell. Okay? Now you may be thinking, well, I've always been told the Holy Spirit fell on the disciples when they were praying in the upper room. Yes, you heard that, but it's not in Scripture. The word says they were all together in one place on the day of Pentecost, okay? Where is every Jewish person required to be in one place at the day of Pentecost? At the temple. It's a pilgrimage feast. From sunrise to sunset, you're at the temple, okay? Now, where would be the most people from all the nations around the world that saw this event? At the temple. Okay. If they're locked away in an upper room, all these travelers hear them speaking in their own language. Where did they come from? Okay. They were all at the temple. Jewish people from all over the world came there for the pilgrimage feast. They were at the temple for Pentecost. The Holy Spirit fell on the disciples, likely in the outer courts of the temple. Everybody was there from all nations. They heard them speaking in tongues. They didn't understand what was happening. They saw fire fall from heaven on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit descended from the throne onto God's people. Just like God had descended on Mount Sinai to be with his people, the Holy Spirit is now descending on the believers in the tabernacle, the temple. Don't miss that either. The first time God presents himself, he presents himself and says, I want, I'm gonna live in a temple, in a tabernacle. Build a tabernacle, we'll take it from place to place. If you wanna learn more about the tabernacle, I did a whole series on it, it's on all the platforms but you can learn about why that was so important that there was a tabernacle for God. Now God says, I'm now returning the Holy Spirit to the temple in Jerusalem, which is my place. 
So it makes more sense that the arrival of the Holy Spirit, they prayed for it in the upper room, but it actually fell at the temple on Pentecost. This time, God gave his spirit to reside in hearts, not laws. On the day of the Feast of Weeks, God gave his people the law. Now, God sends his power on high with the Holy Spirit and writes his law on their hearts. Okay? So what's the significance of this feast? Well, Jeremiah said this, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, by the way, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. Now remember, what was the covenant he made? Well, we call it the Abrahamic covenant. He promised Moses they would lead people out of Egypt. He'd provide them in the promised land that one of theirs would be the savior of the world, that they'd be going to the land of milk and honey, a place he had prepared for them. He would be their God. They would be his people. We know the story. They get to the promised land. They reject God and worship everything pagan. Well, God knows that too because he says, look, the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. Now, one generation broke this covenant before they even got to the promised land. They never even got to go to the promised land because they'd rejected God while they were in the wilderness. He continues, for this is the covenant that I, that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. Okay? Now, remember, this was written a thousand years before Jesus arrived on the planet, okay? And what he's saying is he says, look, that old covenant, one day I'm gonna replace it with a new covenant. It's gonna be a different kind of promise from me. I'm gonna put my law within them and I'm gonna write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they'll be my people. I'll have a relationship. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their sins. I will remember their sin no more. God says, look, I know they're sinners. I know they're messed up. I know they can't obey the law. It's impossible. They're not God. They're not perfect. The laws will never restore their relationship with me. There's too much sin. There's too many mistakes. Too many things have been done. I'm a righteous, just God. Somebody has to pay for the sins of these people, okay? There's not enough animals to sacrifice. There's nobody to take their place because everybody's guilty. The only way their sins get covered is if somebody who is from somewhere else lives a perfect life and lays down their life as a substitute. And God says, I'm coming down there to do just that. I'm going to take your place on the cross. You deserve to go, but I'm gonna take my punishment upon me for you, and then I'm gonna give it to you as a gift. And all you have to do is believe. You don't have to perform, you don't have to follow the commandment, you don't have to do anything except believe, faith. So he says there's a new covenant coming. Ezekiel says, I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Now this is critical. I mean, you could spend weeks on this one scripture, okay? What he's saying is, I'm gonna, right now, you're trying to follow the law. You're trying to get up enough 
oomph to do it right. You're trying to get up enough willpower. You're trying to overcome your tendency to sin with your own power and you're failing miserably because you can't do it. So you tell yourself, okay, I'm not gonna do that again. I'm not gonna do that again. And then the situation comes up. You find yourself doing it again and you're like, God, I'm sorry, I didn't wanna do that, but you're helpless to stop. And God says, of course you're helpless to stop. You're in the flesh. You can't obey my commandments. It's impossible. That's why I gave them to you. So you would realize you can't be good enough. But then he says, but one day, through faith, if you believe in what my son's going to do or did, I'm going to put my spirit in you. And now it's not you fighting the sins and temptations you have. It's me. And I've already won. So I'm going to put my spirit in you. And I'm going to cause you to walk in my statutes. In other words, you can try to follow those Ten Commandments on your own. Good luck. But when my spirit is in you, you're going to want to do those things. I'm going to change the desire. I'm going to change who you are. You're going to be a different person. He says, look, you'll be careful to obey my rules. Why? Because we have a relationship now. The Holy Spirit is in you. And as a result, we follow the rules. The Feast of Weeks, or what we call Pentecost, is the arrival of the Holy Spirit and the beginning of the new covenant. Okay, when the Holy Spirit falls, God's saying, okay, now is the day. Remember he said, one day, this, now he's, this is it. Pentecost. It's falling right here in the temple of God. People are speaking in tongues. Things are happening because from now on, people are going to live with my spirit, not without him. God decided during the feast of the wheat harvest that he would harvest hearts. God wanted us not to just have law written on tables or in the Bible, but actually in our hearts. Romans 7, 6. But now we have been delivered from the law, having died to what we were held by, so that we should serve in the newness of the spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. I tell people all the time, fall in love with Jesus. Surrender your life to him. Receive his Holy Spirit and then do whatever you want to do. Because he will guide you to do the things he wants done. 2 Corinthians 3, 6, for the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. This feast of weeks that began with God's law written on stone was fulfilled by God's empowering Spirit writing now his law on hearts, both on the same feast. Jesus told his disciples about this and made the connection of the law and the Spirit. John 14, 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments, Jesus says. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him or knows him. But you know him, for he dwells within you and will be in you. Now, there's some important stuff in this one, too. We've received the Holy Spirit, not just for the time that we're on earth, Holy Spirit's with us through all of eternity. We're a completely different spiritual person. I say it all the time. People are living human lives trying to have a spiritual experience. But once you find Jesus, you're a spiritual person living a human experience. 
We're not from here anymore. We're here on a mission. Our home is in heaven. We're headed back. The feasts remind us of the promise. Jesus says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. This feast was God's appointed time that pointed to a day when he would pour out his spirit to enable his people to obey and follow his commandments. Imperfect people empowered by a perfect God to go out to the world and change the world and tell the world about Jesus. Imperfect people empowered by a perfect God to change an imperfect world. You see, God harvested the hearts of his people. He harvested us so that we could harvest the lost souls of the world. It's not about us. It's about us being able to go help somebody else, change somebody else's life, point them to Christ. Jews celebrated a joyous harvest on the Feast of Weeks. To a Jewish person, this is all about the wheat harvest. But we celebrate the newborn souls that come out of the harvest of, of humans. Do you remember that they waved two loaves of bread? Remember that? Bread that contained leaven? Sin? The two loaves that are waved represent something really huge. It's the Jews and the Gentiles. The feasts have been pointing to the Jews to a day when they would bring salvation, not just to the Jewish people, but to the entire world. God would not, or would not begin to extend salvation to all until he'd poured out his spirit. God essentially told the disciples, don't you dare leave Jerusalem without my spirit. Don't you dare go out to the world and try to represent me without me. See, because when you go out into that dark world full of sin, if you're working in your own power, you're going to fall into sin. If you're empowered by me, we're going to go show everybody me. You can't show people me if you don't have me when you go. So he tells them, you go back to Jerusalem and wait. You'll know when you've received power from on high. Paul's words in 1 Corinthians 12, for in one spirit we are all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and we're all made to drink of one spirit. As the priests wave these two loaves of leavened bread before the Lord, they're screaming out the fact that God has offered salvation to the whole world. This sinful world, God is still going to save. Much of the significance of leavened bread was also thankfulness for providing food. No longer did they have to eat their bread in haste like their forefathers when they left Egypt. But more than that, God is pointing them that Jesus, the Messiah, is going to come to save the whole world, the sinners who are Gentiles and the sinners who are Jewish. It doesn't matter that they're sinners. I'm going to receive all of them as an offering, and then I'm going to change them through Christ. God always pointing to Jesus, always from the very beginning, planning to save the entire world, Jew and Gentile alike, even though we're all stained with sin. And you may be thinking, okay, that's fascinating, but so what? What does this feast have to do with me? Well, 
In the spring of AD 33, a group of men experienced the overwhelming presence of the Holy Spirit falling on them. It was a flashpoint for them, a moment when they would never again be the same. They immediately changed from being passive and hiding to bold and fearless for God. The presence of the Holy Spirit drove them to go into the harvest to tell the good news. Remember, Jesus said, I want you to go out into the world, make disciples of all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And they went, they were going to go to Samaria and Judea and beyond, okay? Well, they didn't have the power to do that. They were hiding. When Jesus was being crucified, they were hiding. Okay, they're still hiding. They think they're next. They're up in an upper room praying. And then God gives them the Holy Spirit, and all of a sudden now they're bulletproof. They're fearless. They can go out in the world and do anything because now they have the power of God in them. And oh, by the way, so do you. We don't live like it. We've been empowered with the same spirit the disciples have. And that spirit should drive us to go out into the harvest and tell people the good news. The promised power from on high had fallen on them and they could not keep it quiet. You see, when the Spirit of God falls on you, you have to let it move through you. There's too much greatness falling upon you not to share it with people. The Spirit drove them to tell others that same Spirit should be driving us right now. The Feast of Weeks is a reminder to us that we too share in the Spirit, we too are empowered from on high, and we too are supposed to go out into the harvest with the message of Jesus. So, so why do we have to learn about a feast that's already been fulfilled? I mean, can't we just move on to the future ones? That's where all the excitement is. Jesus said this, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. John four thirty five. do you not say, yet there are four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are already white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that the sower and reaper may rejoice together. For the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. In other words, God said, look, I've been saving people since the beginning. The Holy Spirit's gone out ahead of you. The harvest is ripe. It's full. That person at work, that person at the grocery store, the one when you feel prompted by the Spirit to say something, for God's sake, will you say something? The Spirit is in you. We're sent out into the world. We don't randomly pick. We follow what the Spirit's doing. You know how it is. You see somebody and you just know God wants you to talk to them. The Jews held the Feast of Weeks to celebrate and thank God for the wheat harvest. Just as God sent his spirit to write laws on their hearts and harvest our hearts, he's sending us. This is so important to understand. We're not just here. Okay, we didn't, we, I mean, I know this church, it's Sunday, we're here, I get it. But we carry the legacy given to us of Peter, John, Matthew, and all the believers over the last 2,000 years who've been driven by the Spirit to spread the good news to people, including the person who brought the good news to you. 
Think about that for a minute. From the moment the disciples were looking up into the sky, wondering when Jesus would come back, a person told a person, told a person, told a person, and one day it hit you. Think about how many people are your legacy alone. It came from one of the 11, all of us. That legacy has been passed down. Now imagine if along that chain of faithfulness, somebody had said, yeah, yeah, no, I'll just keep this for myself. Okay, an entire group of people are gonna have to be reached in a whole new way. Have you ever thought how different your life would be if that person was not faithful? Almost everybody who's a believer in Christ can point to a person who moved them that direction. But imagine if they were too afraid to talk to you, where would you spend eternity? Think about it. We're all here because people were faithful. We've been given a legacy, it is a gift. The word says that to whom much is given, much is expected. We have to share what's been entrusted to us. It's not entrusted for us. It's given to us so we can give it to others. He wants us to go out in the power of his spirit into the harvest. You see, it's not just enough to know the law and the Ten Commandments and try to follow them. He's writing on our hearts. He's changing who we are. We have to go tell people. We offer up to God our lives, leaven and all, and we wave them sin and all. Not in defiance, but in surrender. God, I know you know me. I know you know everything I've done. I'm not gonna hide anything else from you. It's all right here. I'm waving it in front of you. It's full of leaven. It's full of sin. It's ugly. It's all yours. This life of mine has been very sinful. But it's yours. If you can do something with it, take it from me, write your law on my heart, and send me out as your witness. I'll tell everybody what you did. I tell people all the time it takes a lot of crap to make a rose bush. And it does. So let's tie our first four feasts together before we leave the spring. During Passover, we apply the blood of the lamb to our hearts to receive salvation. We left our old self with him on the cross. Our sins were on him. We died with him. During Passover, or sorry, during the Feast of Unleavened Bread, we're pointed to the burial of Jesus and challenged to let him search our lives for leaven and remove it. We spent an entire week confessing and removing the sin of our lives and we're buried with him. During the Feast of First Fruits, we celebrate Jesus' resurrection as the first fruit to God and are led to give him the first of everything in our lives. We resurrect with him. Now at the Feast of Weeks, we allow him to write his law on our hearts. He sends us out into the mission on his power, not ours. We're sent out by him and empowered by him. This is the last of the spring feasts. Next week, we're going to start looking at the fall feasts, and all those will be fulfilled when he returns next time. This would be a cool time to invite somebody, by the way, who's wondering what's going on. Be prepared for that. We're... We're here to learn and worship. Maybe you're thinking, I don't, I'm not ready to go into the harvest. I'm not really prepared. Do you know what Jesus said about giving us the Spirit? John 16, 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is your advantage that I go away. 
For if I don't go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. You see, if you think you're going out into the fallen world through your own power, you should be afraid. It's only when you realize you're empowered by the Holy Spirit, the success is already there. He's already working. He's going ahead of you. Having the Spirit is so much better than having the law because the Spirit gives life to you and to those He touches. God obviously wanted the Jews to be thankful for the harvest during the Feast of Weeks, but more than that, He wanted to prepare them for an even bigger harvest of mankind. The whole world, Jew and Gentile alike, God is coming for everyone. This is a big mission, and that's why this is a big deal. We celebrate the fact that God didn't ask us to do this alone. In fact, he gave us more than just the law, more than just guidelines on how to live. He put the giver of life inside of us to write his law on our hearts and give us what we need to harvest the fields of the world. Maybe you're here and you don't know Jesus at all. And maybe none of this makes sense. I'm really glad you're here. Maybe you're watching online. I don't know. God can do crazy things. The last verse or verse 22 of Leviticus is for you. And when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right to the edge, nor shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. You shall leave them for the poor and the sojourner on the Lord your God. Sojourners are people who are passing through, looking. The blessings that God has poured out on us through Jesus and his Holy Spirit are not just for us. We're to share them with everybody, the people passing through. We want you to take part in the harvest with us. Come celebrate what God has done. We have some for you too. If you don't know what it's like to know Jesus and have a relationship with him, we're gonna have a time of reflection. I'm gonna ask you to come down to the altar. One of the pastors will be here. Just kneel down at the altar, lift your hand up. One of us will come talk to you. We'll talk to you about what it means to surrender your life to Christ. I would be crazy to declare that God wants us to harvest souls for him and not invite you to be part of that harvest today. I'm not inviting you into a religion full of rules. I'm inviting you into a relationship full of life in God's spirit with God's power. If you're a believer, let me share my heart with you. As I was preparing this sermon, I realized how little I actually participate in the harvest. I don't always tell people about Jesus the way I should. I get scared. I don't act like I've been sent on God's mission with God's power. And I'm just wondering if you feel the same way. Are you afraid to offer yourself to God because of the leaven in your life? You know that God uses sinful people to accomplish his mission, but maybe you think he can't use me. You see, because if you really knew what I've done, no, this must be for other people. No, he's available to all. The Feast of Weeks tells us that because of the blood of Jesus, God accepts the offering of our lives to him for the mission no matter how messed up we think we are. We take our sin and we offer it. What holds us back is when we take our sin and try to hide it. As long as we're willing to put it up and lift it up to God, he's more than willing to receive it and change us. The question is, do you trust him enough with your life to participate in his mission? 
Natalie's going to come up and we're going to have a closing time of worship. I want you to think about these things. God displayed his power in amazing ways on the days he gave the law and on the days he poured out his spirit. He wants to write the law on your heart so you can offer yourself to him and go out in his power to reap the harvest. I want to remind you of the last six words of this passage that we may have just skipped over. God said, I am the Lord. I am the Lord your God. He says, focus on me, not yourself. When you go out into the world that hates me, you focus on me. Don't worry about them. I got them. Spirit's going to change them. Don't focus on your sin. Don't focus on your mistakes. Don't focus on how little you know or what you wish you knew. You just focus on me and take my spirit out there and we're going to do some incredible things. If you don't know Jesus today, as we sing, maybe it's time to ask God to reveal himself to you. I think the Feast of Pentecost is critical because it reminds us that the power is in God, not us. That the harvest is plentiful and the workers are few. We're gonna spend some time at the altar. Maybe you need to confess a sin. Maybe you need to offer something to God. Maybe you need to wave your own leaven in front of God and give it to him. Maybe you need to surrender for the first time. Maybe you need to commit to stronger evangelism. Maybe you just need to come down and thank God for what he's done for you. It doesn't matter. The altar's open and God is aware. So let's pray. God, I thank you for the feast and the reminders that are so powerfully interwoven throughout the story in the Bible. It is your desire, God, that we all surrender ourselves to you every single day. That we lay down our lives so that we can be living sacrifices for you. So God, in this room right now, there are all kinds of circumstances going on with people. I can't imagine living in this world today and not knowing you not knowing the purpose and the reason and the plan in the future. So God, would you speak to our hearts wherever we are and move us a step closer to you? Help us to get past the biggest obstacle on this planet, which is our pride. Move us, guide us. Please, God, don't leave us where we are. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. 